From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Count me. I'm your provisional billet. I'm Bill Curtis. <laughs> and here's your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to see you, too. We have a very fine show for you today. Later on, we're going to be talking to singer Sarah Brightman, the most famous soprano in the world who didn't have anybody whacked. A quick (laughs) note, um, obviously we're going to be talking about the midterm elections, but we cannot talk about what happened in Florida because as of showtime, they have no idea who won. (laughs) Can you believe it? We are going to have another recount in Florida. (laughs) If we're going to be 2000 again, can I at least have my hair back? We will offer you a decisive verdict, win or lose, when you play our game. So give us a call. The number is one triple eight. Wait, wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on. Wait, wait. Don't tell me. Hello, this is Rebecca Reader. Hey, Rebecca, where are you calling from? Columbus, Ohio. Oh, we love Columbus. We were just there last year. What's up? Uh, what's up there? Oh, I so, work at the library. Oh, nice. Is that why you're being so quiet, Rebecca? <laughs> Yeah. Well, Rebecca, welcome to our show. Let me introduce you to our panel this week. First up, it's a features writer for the style section of the Washington Post. It's Roxanne Roberts. Hello, Rebecca. (laughs) Next, it's the host of the public radio variety show Livewire and the podcast Too Beautiful to Live. It's Luke Burbank. Hey, Rebecca. And it's a comedian doing her regular gig New Year's Eve at the Norse Theater in San Francisco. And her new podcast is Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. It's Paula Poundstone. So, Rebecca, welcome to our show. You're going to start us off, of course, with Who's Bill this time. Bill Curtis is going to read for you three quotations from this week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you'll win our prize. Any voice from our show that you might choose on your voicemail. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Here's your first quote. It's someone saying what big lesson he learned from Tuesday's midterms. I think people like me. Who (laughs) Who took that message away from the results on Tuesday? I'm just going to have to say it might be Donald J. Trump. You're right, Donald J. Trump. (laughs) America sent a stunning rebuke to President Trump this week. Okay, it wasn't a stunning rebuke because a bunch of his candidates won. Basically, the GOP kept the Senate, but the Dems swept the congressional elections, which means that things from here on out are just going to get worse. It's like our government just got divorced and Democrats got the House. And, and they're telling us, America, sweetie, mommy and daddy, we're going to be splitting up, and it is totally your fault. <laughs> I don't want to go to the Senate this weekend. They smoke cigarettes and use bad words. Exactly. <laughs> As for Democrats, they did well, but they're all still sad because their dreamboat candidate, Beto O'Rourke, lost in Texas. Though he may have been beaten by Ted Cruz, at least voters confirmed once and for all, politics is not a beauty contest. He's so dreamy. He is very dreamy. (laughs) Here's the thing, though, and I noticed it this week. When Republicans win, they say, we won. And the Democrats say, yeah, you won. When Democrats win, the Republicans say, we won again. And Democrats say, oh, my God, maybe you did. And they feel bad. (laughs) And they sit around and they, like, journal things. Like, what is victory? I don't know. (laughs) 
years ago when Clinton won his first presidency, yeah. I was at the hotel in downtown L.A. that the Democrats had the party at. And so, around, you know, everybody's watching the TV and the returns come in. It's a Clinton one. And I swear, I've never seen a more inept group of partiers in my life. They had, <laughs> they had no experience in winning. They had absolutely no idea what to do. The they were like, ha, oh, that was it. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if it's the greatest system where you basically vote people out of office and then you just let them stay in power for two months and hope they don't burn everything down. Like if you get fired from a Quiznos, that's your last day. Right. Because they don't want you to steal lunch meat. Yeah. And in this case, the lunch meat is democracy. I know. <laughs> Rebecca, here's your next quote. It's from someone reacting to the big news on Wednesday. Acosta? I hardly know her. That was journalist Shuja Haider responding to news that CNN's correspondent Jim Acosta had been banned from where? White House press corps. The White House, yes. He's a White House correspondent. He can no longer get in to the White House. On Wednesday, the White House took away Jim Acosta's press credentials, saying that he had assaulted a White House intern even though everybody was watching on live TV and saw no such thing. But that just shows how skilled an assassin Jim Acosta is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this happened, this happened, this bizarre thing that the White House decided to lie about happened after Acosta annoyed the president with his questions at this incredibly bizarre post-election press conference. And the president got mad and said to Acosta, quote, you are a rude, terrible person, unquote, <laughs> which is like the pot calling the kettle black and then because it's black, not allowing it to vote. <laughs> <laughs> that took a turn. It really did. Well, but you have not. You have Please, not, you Roxanne, have, fill it in. The doctored video. The, so all the experts. So the White House releases the video saying that we will not tolerate a reporter you know, manhandling, uh, assaulting our intern, and all the experts agree that they doctored the video. Yeah, well, it's insane that they're that they're lying about this thing that was on live TV. Yeah, and they're saying, "Well, look at the tape." I mean, it's like it, the Zapruder tape, but that's only if Zapruder had photoshopped Hillary Clinton shooting from behind <laughs> the grassy knoll. That's sure. the equivalent. I think what it really comes down to is uh, what was the call on the field? Was it a catch? <laughs> yeah, I know. Because there has you to be have enough to basically evidence. be able to overturn it yeah, at this I point. Know. I just think, unfortunately, that's the call they made. We should say that they had this, this press conference because the president, as is traditional after a loss like that, uh, wanted to mock all the Republicans who he said lost because they distanced themselves from him, or as he put it, quote, didn't want the embrace, quote. <laughs> Not uh, weird at that's all. That's how put yeah. it, which is not only true yeah. of those now former Congress members, but it's also true of Ivanka, Melania, and a bust of Betsy Ross in the blue room. <laughs> oh, come on. He's been with that bust. <laughs> There's no way on earth that guy isn't alone at night with those statues. <laughs> you know. Rebecca, here is your last quote. All right. Hit me. Where the hell is Space Force when you need it most? That was a reaction on Twitter to the announcement from two Harvard astronomers saying that last year oh. our solar system might have been visited by what? Aliens. Yes, yeah. aliens, specifically. <laughs> An alien spaceship. 
The strange object uh, came through the solar system last year. It was called Oumuamua, and it entered the solar system going too fast and at this very strange angle, and it rotated in a weird way, and it looked like nothing we've ever seen before, sort of long and thin like God's own cigar. So two astronomers at Harvard suggested it might be, in fact, an alien ship. To add to the evidence for this theory, the thing came to our planet, took a look around, and got the hell out as fast as it could. <laughs> Clearly intelligent life. Peter, how do you know if, if it's a thing that came from another planet, how does anybody know its name? Well, they called it... <laughs> well, we named it. Oh, well, who would name, a, 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 it's a probe, who would name that a muamua? Who, because, who? Because it's a Hawaiian term. It's a Hawaiian term. Well, that doesn't explain it. No, I think it... <laughs> Let's not keep laying blame on the Hawaiians. <laughs> this, thing, this thing was spotted last year, and people said, well, it's a comet, but it didn't act like a comet. Its, its trajectory around the sun and out of the solar system was really weird, and these two Harvard astronomers analyzed the data, and they said, we don't think a natural object would move that way. We think it was a kind of spaceship. Specifically, they thought that it was a light sail ship, which is a kind of space sailboat that uses the light from the sun to propel it. So a light... They did hear Jimmy Buffett music playing yeah. as it rounded the Earth, and yeah. that was also... Cheeseburger yeah, plus, in Paradise, that's a dead giveaway. The, 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 the Arecibo telescope was able to see a very rich doctor sitting on it complaining <laughs> about how much it costs to keep up. So clearly... A sailboat. Yeah, you know, best two days of your life as an alien probe. It the day really you buy is. it and the day you sell it. It's true, yeah. <laughs> Bill, how did Rebecca do in our quiz? Rebecca, put a banner up in the library. You there got you go. them all right. Congratulations, Rebecca. Thanks so much for playing. Right now, panel, time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Roxanne, the Delaware History Museum reports that it's been unable to keep up with demand for what product in its gift shop? They're candles scented like what? Joe Biden. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> no. Yeah. Seriously? You guessed that? Oh, I my did. God. <laughs> you said it with such confidence. No. <laughs> no, seriously. You, you said that with such confidence, I assumed you had like a pair of them next to a picture, a little shrine no, in your bedroom. No, I just thought it was funny. What? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Joe Biden might not have been the best smelling vice president of the modern era. Mike Pence doesn't sweat at all because, quote, I'm holding it in because Jesus put it in there for a reason. <laughs> but mother doesn't like it when I get stinky. Exactly. But nonetheless, a, a candle made with the scent of Joe Biden, and they got that by taking swabs off all the people he's hugged uncomfortably, <laughs> is the top seller at the Delaware History Museum wow. gift shop. And consider what it must take to beat all comers at the Delaware History Museum <laughs> gift shop. Okay. Uh is there a, dis like, you know, sometimes a fragrance will be described as having kind of notes to it, hints of this and that. Do they describe what it sort of smells like? Is there, like for the Joe Biden fragrance, yes. a candle, can they, do they describe what it sort of smells like? Yeah, it's like, you know, hints, hints of good cheer with notes of some incoherence, I think. <laughs> hints no. of uncle you don't want to let have two Coors Lights at Thanksgiving. Exactly. <laughs> Come
coming up, happy Bluff the Listener Day. Call one wait wait to play We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPO. Support for NPR and the following message comes from ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you and actively invites them to apply. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews on Trustpilot. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com wait. The StoryCorps podcast returns this fall with 12 all-new episodes about reunions. This week, what it's like to spend years searching for a father, only to find someone you didn't even know you were looking for. Hear more on the StoryCorps podcast. Episodes are available every Tuesday. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I am Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Luke Burbank, Roxanne Roberts, and Paula Poundstone. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sago. Thank you, Bill. Right now, it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game. Call one wait wait to play our game on the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Sean O'Donnell from Pittsburgh, PA. Hey, how are things in Pittsburgh? Uh, pretty chilly right now. What do you do there? Uh, I'm a, a writer and a musician. What kind of music do you play? Uh, instrumental stuff. Um, and I play the bagpipes. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. I noticed how you sort of didn't lead with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was run. thinking, oh, what a nice guy. He lives in Pittsburgh, plays music. And then we'd like you by the time you finally drop the bagpipe thing. More or less, yeah, yeah. It's no. really <laughs> All right. It is great to have you with us, Sean. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Sean's topic? It's National Nerd Day. And I didn't get you anything. <laughs> Coming up, we have got Thanksgiving, which is a holiday we only celebrate in the United States. So all the other countries miss out on horrible, bitter arguments with our relatives. <laughs> However, turns out that other nations also have holidays that are particular to them. Our panelists are each going to tell you about an international holiday, but only one of them is real. You pick that real holiday and you will win our prize, the voice of anyone you like, on your voicemail. You ready to play? Yep. All right. Here we go. Your first story of a holiday comes from Luke Burbank. On January 17th of next year, Canadians will roll out a new holiday. And if you don't like it, well, you're just going to have to deal with it, buddy. Because January 17th is Canada's first ever National Stop Apologizing Day. <laughs> the holiday was the brainchild of Todd McCullough of Kamloops after an incident he was involved in at a Tim Hortons in 2015. <laughs> Well, I was reaching for the coffee, McCullough told the Vancouver Sun, and this other fellow was reaching for the Timbits donut holes, and, well, we did that thing where we both kept reaching and then standing back and apologizing, and then reaching and then standing back and apologizing. And so about two hours went by like that, <laughs> and I realized, we Canadians, we got a dang problem with apologizing too much. Sorry for the coarse language, he added. 
<laughs> America's notoriously polite and let's be honest, superior in every way neighbors to the north have always been quick to apologize whether or not it was warranted. The city of Thunder Bay, Ontario once apologized to Duluth, Minnesota for the icy winds coming off of Lake Superior. <laughs> saying they felt they could have, quote, done more to warm it up on its way south. <laughs> but never again, or at least not on January 17th. McCullough had tried for years to generate attention for the proposal via the internet with little success, but the idea really picked up steam when CBC News anchor Dan Ratner, who's sort of the Canadian version of, you guessed it, Tom Brokaw, <laughs> picked up the cause. For 30 years, Ratner's sign-off at the end of each newscast was, so there's the news in Canada. Sorry, some of it was pretty grim. <laughs> of course, Ratner had no idea what grim was until he started looking at the U.S. headlines post-2016. And that's when he had an epiphany, which was that based on America's behavior just in the last two years, Canadians have nothing to apologize for until 2079. All right. Canada's first ever no apologizing day. Your next story of an important day comes from Roxanne Roberts. In Japan, punctuality is sacred and being late is deeply embarrassing. And yet, there are always some stragglers who can't quite meet deadlines, which prompted this month's Student Procrastination Day at colleges throughout the country. The celebration is the brainchild of University of Tokyo President Mikoto Gonokami, a self-admitted procrastinator who wants to reduce stress and promote mental health at Japan's highly competitive universities. Students will be allowed to turn in one final paper regardless of when it was due on the last day of the semester. <laughs> but some students say the new celebration stresses them out. Quote, it's too much pressure to be late. Haru Tanaka <laughs> told NTV News, all my papers are already finished. Gonokami says, it might take years to catch on, but as I always say, better late than never. <laughs> student Procrastination Day in Japan. The Japanese students are allowed to finally relax a little bit. And your last story of a new holiday comes from Paula Poundstone. In Finland, November 1st is known as National Jealousy Day when the country publishes everyone's income. The public finds amusement in discovering who among them earns the most. They like finding out what celebrities make and if being a trash collection worker is really worth it or, or sauna guest washer or northern lights spotter or reindeer farmer or ice hole lifeguard, all of which jobs make Finland tick. This year, the country's most famous porn star, Ans Fiskari, earned 23,826 euros, which makes Ice Hole Lifeguard look fantastic. <laughs> Finland does have low income inequality levels as compared to other places, and this transparency may be part of the reason. It must be tough, though, at Christmas when you give someone a decorative oven mitt and then they research to find you make millions. <laughs> Privacy advocates caution, however, that it is a small step from publishing incomes to making public SAT scores, sperm counts, and gym attendance. All right, one of these is a real holiday. Is it? From Luke Burbank, Canada's No Apologizing Day when the entire nation will refuse to apologize for 24 hours. From Roxanne Roberts, Student Procrastination Day in Japan where those 
very hardworking students will finally try to relax about a deadline, or from Paula, National Jealousy Day in Finland, where everybody learns what everybody else makes so they can feel either good or bad about it. Which of those is a real holiday that's happening someplace in the world this year? Oh, uh, wow, they're all kind of terrifying, but I'm going to go with Japan's. You're going to go with J the Roxanne's story of Japan's Student Procrastination Day, the one day when they can finally relax and hand things in late. Uh, I, I think so. Can I get back to you on that? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like your style, Sean. <laughs> All right, well, that's your choice. We actually spoke to a reporter who told us about the real holiday. Every 1st of November in Finland, the declared income of every taxpayer in the country is released. That was Ellen Barry, a reporter for the New York Times who reported on Jealousy Day, which happened this last week in Finland. I'm so sorry you didn't get it right, but you made Roxanne the happiest woman in this room <laughs> <laughs> by choosing her made-up story and winning her a point. So thank you so much for playing. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And now the game where somebody who has done a lot just does a little more. It's called Not My Job. Sopranos are supposed to be difficult, but one of the things that may make them so hard to deal with is that none of them, no soprano in the world, has sold as many records ever as Sarah Brightman has. She created the lead role in Phantom of the Opera. She's sung in every major concert hall in the world. She has a new album called Hymn, you know, like a religious hymn. It's coming out this week. Sarah Brightman, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I feel like I'm on stage. It's real. Well, it's, I know. I wish you could be here with us. But I, I came across that fact, and I was amazed that you are the most popular soprano in the history of the world. That's really quite impressive. I know. So they say. Thank you very much. Yes. I mean, there are some other pretty good sopranos out there, like Maria Callas, to, you know. And well, Pekinawa. she's not with us, I'm afraid, anymore. So one sort of takes over. If yes. You know what I mean. <laughs> if she wanted to keep up with you, she should have stayed alive. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I, I, we, we've had a lot of fun looking into it. You, you had an interesting start to your singing career, which I didn't know about until I looked into it. Can you tell us about it, your first big act? I lost my heart to a starship trooper. Yes. Disco. Disco. Disco era. You were a disco singer. What was the name I of your band? I was, and it was amazing. And I had uh, an amazing time. We, we, we actually found the video online for your big hit back in those days, I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper. Here's a small excerpt. It's an amazing number, Sarah. You actually name-check Darth Vader, which I have... <laughs> Sarah, this is Paula Poundstone. I'm not a music aficionado by any stretch, but it's really hard to see how I lost my heart to a starship trooper dovetails into a soprano doing fan of the opera. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, you see... I'm kind of multifaceted, if that makes any sense. No, it yeah. makes it makes complete sense. So what was yeah. the, what was the step after the Starship Trooper? Well, the thing was, I loved pop music, I loved uh, progressive rock music, and I loved listening to sopranos. So I just went into all sorts of different music, and and that's what that's that's what happened. You became a cat in Cats, 
and mm-hmm. uh, you came to the attention of a gentleman named Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yes, who I married. You did. We understand that he wrote the lead role in Phantom of the Opera for you. Yes, he did. Uh, Mr. Lord Weber, I, has, I need to call him Lord Weber because he was raised to a peerage. Do you have to call him Lord Weber when you call him up? Uh, yes, I do, actually. Really? Yes, and he, he doesn't laugh. <laughs> do you, I mean, we know that you sing beautifully and professionally all over the world. Do you ever, like, do karaoke? Um, no, I'm too scared to do it. No, really? Yeah, I might be caught out, you see, so I don't do it. Wait a minute. You've sung at the opening ceremonies of two Olympics. You've yes, sung in every I opera know, house and arena in this world, and you're nervous to do well, karaoke? the thing about karaoke is yeah. that, that you're not to be professional. Right. It's, I'm trying it's to go to pro. It sounds like people who've had, <laughs> had a bit of a drink and they're having fun and they don't and, and everyone goes, "Yeah, yeah, that's great, but it doesn't it doesn't really work that well." <laughs> do you, do you before we go to the game, tell us about the new record. This is uh, your first new record in a while, right? Yes. What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> tell me what it's like. Of course! <laughs> it's just great. You've got to listen to it. Um, I, I came out of the Russian space program as one does, and I decided, and I went and found myself a house on the beach. Whoa, whoa hey, <laughs> wait, what? Oh, hold on. Let's rewind a little bit. The Russian space program? Yes, I was going to go to the ISS. and. Uh, wait a minute. You, you trying to find but, that Starship Trooper? Go. They were going... <laughs> They were going to send you to the International Space Station? Oh, it was, yeah, it was an interesting and challenging time. But I didn't go in the end. I came out of it and um, came up with this lovely album called Him. And it's, it's going great. I'm really happy with it. And I hope you all enjoy it if, you, if you're interested in, in listening to it. I, I, I think we are. I'm just going to say something. You are, as I've said, the most popular soprano in the world but you don't act like it. I mean, you seem a little surprised that people might want to hear you sing. And you're Sarah Brighton. <laughs> you're funny people. I don't know what to say. Sarah, it's not the weird thing that you said. The weird thing that you said was, I came out of the Russian space program as one does. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've done it. Bill, Bill's done it. Yeah. You guys, you guys have done it. Da. Yeah. Da. <laughs> well, Sa- well, Sarah Brightman, it is a delight to talk to you, but we have asked you here today to play a game we're calling... It's not over till Gene Simmons sings. So you, of course, created the, the lead role in Phantom of the Opera, but before that, the band KISS starred in their one and only TV movie called KISS Meets Phantom of the Park. We're going to ask you three questions about the second most popular TV movie of 1978. <laughs> Get two right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is Sarah Brightman playing for? Suzanne Robertson of Atlanta, Georgia. All right. So you remember how this works. We're going to ask you three multiple choice questions. Get two right. You win our prize for one of our listeners. Here we go. Okay. Here's your first question. In the movie, the members of KISS have superpowers, which they use to battle an evil scientist at an amusement park who attacks them with robot versions of themselves. Everything I just said is true. (laughs) But drummer Peter Chris of the band KISS really wasn't into this project, and he explained it was because, was it A... He thought it was beneath his dignity, quote, I can't see John Lennon getting beat up by Dracula. 
B, he didn't like the idea of killing the robots because, quote, they may be artificial, but their feelings are real. Or C, he didn't like his fake superpower in the film saying, quote, I want to feature my real superpower, my extraordinary empathy. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be C. It, it sadly wasn't. He <laughs> it was A, the one about John Lennon. He thought that this, this silly comic book movie was beneath the dignity of serious musicians like Kiss. <laughs> All right, you still have two chances, which is great. In the first draft of the script of the movie, all guitarist Ace freely said, all his lines were just the noise, ack, ack, he'd say. Why? A, freely was concerned that speaking dialogue while acting might hurt his singing voice. B, it was a tribute to Freely's recently deceased pet parrot. Or C, when the film's writers met with the band to get a feel for how they spoke, Freely refused to say anything to them, but ack. <laughs> wow. Let's go to C, then. Yes, it was, in fact, <laughs> C. <laughs> so he picks up the script, and he says, how come the only thing I say in this movie is ack? And they said, because that's all you ever said to us, said the writers. All right, last question. If you get this right, you win. The production was plagued by tensions and clashing egos. It was a terrible time on the set. It resulted in which of the following happening? A, drummer Peter Chris quit the film after producers asked him to change his famous cat makeup to dog makeup. In one scene, since Ace Frehley had stormed off the set in a huff, you can clearly see his African-American stunt double instead. Or C, all of the Kiss songs in the movie actually ended up being performed by Aerosmith. <laughs> okay, I'll go for B then. Well, that was very wise of you because it is B. In some, if you if you watch this movie, and of course you can, in some scenes, Ace Freely scenes are performed by a black stunt double wearing white face. It's that good. <laughs> Bill, how did Sarah Brightman do in our quiz? She slipped a couple right ones in there. So, Sarah, you're a winner. Congratulations, Sarah. Sarah Brightman's new album is Him. Sarah Brightman, what a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much for talking with us. It's lovely to talk to you, and it was very Thank good. you. Take care. In just a minute, we finally cut the cord in our listener limerick challenge game. Call one triple eight wait wait to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more wait wait don't tell me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Capital One wants to build a better bank, one that feels and acts nothing like a typical bank. So they're reimagining banking. They offer a great savings rate and accounts with no fees or minimums that can be opened from anywhere in five minutes. That's banking reimagined. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Capital One, N-A. So you just woke up, and you want to find out about the latest news. That is when you turn to Up First, the 10-minute news podcast from NPR News. Here, Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Paula Poundstone, Luke Burbank, and Roxanne Roberts. And here again is your host. You know him. It's at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. In just a minute. 
Bill is in the rhyme of his life in our Listener Limerick Challenge game. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one wait wait That's one 8924 Right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Luke, thanks to concerned doctors around the world, we now know that our favorite sports aren't nearly as safe as we'd like to believe. That's why a new proposal in the UK is looking to require whom to wear helmets. Doctors. No. <laughs> Although doctors do this traditionally on Wednesday. Um, oh, golfers? Yes. Helmets for golfers. <laughs> Golf balls travel at about 150 miles per hour when hit off a tee, and some move almost twice that speed if there aren't any cops around. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why health experts in the UK have submitted a proposal to require all golfers to wear crash helmets during play. Not only would that protect from injury caused by a stray golf drive, they'd also be the least ridiculous looking part of a golfer's wardrobe. Yeah. I don't see golf, um, I don't see the danger in golf, besides which, um, if there's one group of people that I wouldn't mind seeing beat their brains out, it's golfers. That's true. <laughs> in fact, I would go so far as to say that if golfers got hit in the head more often, it'd be a more exciting sport to watch. Yeah, I think that's... Very true. You I give might. one golfer like a 30-second head start, <laughs> and the other guys are just on the tee, whacking <laughs> <laughs> it at them. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah. yeah. Luke, great news for job seekers. Many companies are hiring for a brand new position at their offices, specifically created to help the company project an image of success to visitors. What is the job? Oh, boy. Um, uh, can I get a hint? Yeah, it's just like they have at the Oscars, but without any of the glamour. Like desk fillers? Yes. Seat fillers for offices. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. This is a thing that's happening. So the idea is when a new prospective client or maybe investor comes to the office, you don't want them to see a bunch of empty desks. You'll look like you're failing because you are. <laughs> so companies are hiring temporary people to come in and just sit there and look busy. Just pretend to type. Whatever. That is like 80% of the jobs I had before this gig. I understand. <laughs> I wonder what the application process is like. Imagine getting turned down for that job. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you it has less to do with your ability to do nothing than to look like the kind of person that that company would hire. I think it's all about the look. It's about probably, you know, you have to have the right kind of thing and pants and shoes and... Like pants and shoes. Oh, forget yeah. it, i <laughs> Paula, according to a study that got a lot of attention this week, people who prefer black coffee over coffee with cream or sugar are more likely to be what? Oh, well, lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> Any kind of a hint, Peter? Sure. Apparently, Charlie Manson never took cream. Oh, uh, oh uh, serial killers? Well, serial killers <laughs> tend to be what? What kind of person? Not nice. No. <laughs> um, well, you might say the kind of person who ended up being a serial killer or another kind of terrible uh, criminal might... Oh! Uh, they tend to be psycho? Yeah. According to this study, people who drink their coffee black tend to be psychopaths. <laughs> uh -huh. um, For those of you... By the who, way, laughing that, at that answer is like 80% yeah, of psychopaths. I was laughing because they did the... They gave me the bell after all that. Like, oh, yeah, he <laughs> said it. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I, how do you study that? I mean, that just seems so... Who did the black coffee? The American Institute study. for Creamer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it was an Australian uh, psychologist, and what they were trying to do. It was an Australian psychologist. One Australian psychologist. A pair of Australian psychologists. <laughs> it and was they a were, pair of yeah. them. They were trying to determine if people's tastes, literally the things they like to eat and drink, had any correlation to their emotional states, right? And what they found was that certain emotional traits associated like narcissism, psychopathology, that sort of thing, are associated strongly with people who like very bitter flavors like okay. black coffee. Well, then why don't they go after the black licorice people? <laughs> well, they're all murderers. No, you ever oh notice my God, nobody hate... eats black licorice? No, I well, hate... I like black licorice. Get away Get from her. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, it's lightning fill in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one triple eight wait wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four, or you can click the contact us link on our website waitwait.npr.org. There you can find out about attending our weekly live shows right here at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago and our show this Thursday in Orlando, Florida. Hi, you're on Wait Wait. Don't tell me. Hi, this is Mark Mullen from St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Mark, how are things in St. Louis? I was just there. The uh, leaves are absolutely beautiful right now, and we're hoping they hold on for a little while longer. I'm so, so pretty glad. Good. What do you do there in St. Louis? I am a third-year medical student at St. Louis University. That's good. What kind of doctor do you want to be? Uh, it's kind of up in the air right now, but I lean pretty heavily towards psychiatry. You know, you might want to stock up on those little creamers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome... Welcome to the show, Mark. Bill Curtis is going to perform for you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly, and two of the limericks will be a winner. You ready to play? Sure am. Here is your first limerick. Alone at the bar I sit, waiting. Though I swipe right, my passion's abating. It turns out this app is a vote-trolling trap. The campaign's have been ruining... Dating? Dating, Dating yes, very is. good. Good, Mark. So, Tinder, Bumble, and Grinder isn't just the name of the world's pervious law firm. There <laughs> is apps, dating apps are a great way to meet people if you want the process of meeting people to be a soul-destroying torture. But this last campaign season, instead of the usual crop of Chads and Jakes, the apps were flooded with political activists. Say, a woman would swipe right in a man, and then the man would do the same, but instead of making a date, the woman would say, have you thought about voting for Beto? <laughs> really, the only thing worse than a bunch of drunk bros trying to hook up is a bunch of totally sober Bernie bros. <laughs> I've been on that app, it's called Hinder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here is your next limic. Perhaps if I tickle the keys, we will cave age some less runny breeze. Or loud Eddie Vedder might make heady chatter. Let's see how some songs affect... Cheese. Yes, cheese! The Swiss love cheese, cheese so much that one man has decided to play his wheels of Emmental cheese, different kinds of music, to see if it makes the cheese taste different. That's true. I think we can assume the Gouda isn't the only thing getting smoked over there. <laughs> this is the project of a man named Beat Wampfler. His actual name... Coincidentally, Beat Wampfler is also the Swiss word for DJ. <laughs> he has wheels of cheese aging on top of small speakers playing different kinds of music, everything from Led Zeppelin to a tribe called Quest. His theory is that the bacteria that age the cheese may cause different chemical reactions depending on whether or not they have rhythm. Avoid the Asiago, though. It ripens on the one and the three. <laughs> you know, if it turns out 
that he's on to something. Yeah. Um, this could really be good for the m music industry. Yes. You know, a lot of performers. What if, you know, how exciting it would be to play live. In a cheese cave. Yeah, exactly. For yeah. cheese. Yeah. You know, Sarah Brightman was nervous about being in front of an audience. Uh, put her in front of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You have one more limerick. Let's see if we can go perfect, Mark. Here we go. This mother's angelical horde makes me an hysterical ward. She once was fed through me, and now it's my jewelry. I'm wearing my baby's. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> umbilical cord. Yes. Yes, umbilical cord. Yes, if you, you got it. <laughs> if you love your baby so much, feeding it and raising it is not enough. Take its old belly button skin out of your memory box and put it on a necklace. Umbilical cord jewelry is the hot new fad. So be careful when complimenting a new mom's jewelry. An innocent, wow, where'd you get your necklace? Opens the door to a conversation that starts with, well, my cervix was dilated eight centimeters. Yeah. This really gives kind of a new meaning to the term, it could only be Jared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, how did Mark do in our quiz? Mark did a great job. Everyone is right. Congratulations, Woo! Mark. Well done. Thank you. Thank you so much for playing. This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream. If you love documentaries, then CuriosityStream will be your new happy place. From the founder of the Discovery Channel, finally, a streaming service for nerds, where you can binge watch shows on science, history, nature, and more. With over 2,000 films and series and apps on most devices, there's truly something for everyone. Try it for 30 days free at curiositystream.com NPR and enter that promo code NPR. Now on to our final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? Roxanne has three, Luke and Paula each have two. We have flipped a coin, and Paula has elected to go second. That means, Luke, you are up first. The clock will start when I begin your first question, fill-in-the-blank. On Thursday, Supreme Court Justice Blank was hospitalized after breaking her ribs in a fall. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. On Tuesday, a judge ordered that Cesar Sayoc be held without bail for allegedly sending blanks to Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and CNN. Pipe bombs. Right. Calling the election too close to call, Stacey Abrams refused to concede the race for governor of blank. Georgia. Right. On Tuesday, Fox News issued a statement saying that it did not condone blank's appearance at a Trump rally in Missouri. Sean Hannity. Right. A man in Florida was injured this week after he climbed into a pit of blanks wearing blanks. Voters wearing a ballot. No. <laughs> he climbed into a pit of Crocs wearing Crocs. <laughs> At an auction held on Thursday, the wheelchair of scientist blank sold for almost $400,000. Stephen Hawking. Right. On Wednesday, Vince Gilligan and Brian Cranston both confirmed that a movie based on the hit show Blank was in the works. Breaking Bad. Right. This week, a woman in Salt Lake City who was charged with embezzling from her employer said she only did it so she could pay off blank. The expensive pair of Crocs her husband had recently lost. No. She says that she embezzled from her employer only so she could pay off the debt she owed from embezzling from another employer. 
Back in 2013, Tina Delgado was charged with embezzling over $100,000 from a financial management company and was ordered by the court to pay restitution. She wanted to make things right, so she did what any of us would do. She got a job at a spa and started embezzling money from them to pay the other job back. She's now been charged with stealing another $100,000, but she's pretty sure she can set things right if that financial management company will just take her back. <laughs> Bill... How did Luke do on our quiz? Six rights, 12 more points, total to 14 to slip into the lead. That's pretty good there, Paula. You are up next. <laughs> Fill in the blank. This week, the president of blank said that the country would ignore new oil sanctions imposed by the U.S. Iran? Yes. Following Tuesday's election, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib became the first two blank women elected to serve in Congress. Muslims. Right. Despite new tariffs, imports from blank rose by 16% this year. Uh, I don't know, maybe China? Yes. To, on Tuesday, Michigan became the 10th state to legalize blank. Uh, pot? Yep, recreational pot. This week, a 69-year-old Dutch man asked a judge to legally change his age to 45 on official documents so he can blank. Um, uh, attend preschool. No, so he can <laughs> attract more women on Tinder. Oh, yeah. On Thursday, Elon Musk formally stepped down as the chairman of blank. A Tesla. Right. On Sunday, Mary Katani of Kenya claimed her fourth victory in the blank marathon. Uh, uh, New York. Right. This week, a woman who found the engagement ring that her boyfriend was planning to propose to her with shared her excitement by tweeting a picture of it with the caption, blank. No way. No. <laughs> she said, ooh. Oh, jeez. Not a fan. <laughs> I know. Well, it had his grandma in there. Yeah. <laughs> so she tweeted... <laughs> She found the ring. She's like, oh, my God, he's going, to, he's going to propose to me with this piece of whatever. So she tweeted a picture of it, and she said, not a fan. Can someone tell me how to tactfully say I won't marry you until you buy something different? After seeing the post, her boyfriend did decide to trade up for a better model and is now happily enjoying life with his new girlfriend. <laughs> Bill, wow. how did Paula do in our quiz? This race is so close. Six right, 12 more points, 14. They are tied. All That's right. an automatic recount. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For the record. How many then, Bill, does Roxanne need to win? Six of them. Here we go, Roxanne. This is for the game. On Thursday, police identified the gunman who opened fire at a bar in blank. In California. Yes. This week, the FCC demanded the telephone companies take action to block blank. Spam yeah, calls. Robo yeah, robocalls. On Thursday, the CDC reported that 164 people were made sick by a blank outbreak caused by raw turkey. Uh, uh, salmonella. Right. A juror in the trial of drug kingpin El Chapo was suspected of bias and dismissed after he blanked. Is this the one that said that he lied because he didn't want to be on it? No. That this is the guy who asked El Chapo for an autograph. Oh, Prior okay. to the midterm, social media site Blank said it had removed 115 accounts over possible election meddling. Uh, Facebook. Right. This week, a third man claimed to have sustained serious injuries thanks to an exploding blank. An exploding uh, penis enhancer. <laughs> Best case scenario. Was it a beer? It was, in fact. It was yes. an exploding bottle of Corona. Ah. Bottles of Corona beer have been exploding <laughs> around the country. Uh, we found now the real threat from coming from south of the border. <laughs> <laughs> Two bartenders were injured when a case exploded. And now a California man says he cut his leg when a bottle went off like, quote, a glass hand grenade. Authorities are urging the public to use caution when handling Corona bottles and reminding you, under no circumstances should you light your lime wedge on fire before sticking it in there. <laughs> Bill, did Roxanne do well enough to win? No. Oh. She got 11, but yeah. we have okay. two champions. Yeah. Paula and Luke. Congratulations. 
In just a minute after the possible visit from the alien ship was revealed, we'll ask our panelists to predict the next big scientific discovery we're all going to get excited about. Thanks to Life Kitchen for the wonderful variety of food this week. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord, Philip Gotica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary D'Olio. Our interns are Catherine Coates and Zoe Lowenberg. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills and Miles Dernboss and Lillian King. Our acting attorney general is Peter Gwynn. Technical directions from Lorna White. Our business and office manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Height Appropriate Danforth. Now, panel, after the alien visit, what will be the next big scientific discovery? Paula Poundstone. Cheese bacteria also enjoy audiobooks. <laughs> Roxanne Roberts. A new study by two scientists in England will find that people who drink tea with lemon, not milk, are more likely to park illegally. <laughs> and Luke Burbank. Exploding cups of black coffee to thwart psychopaths. Well, if any of that happens, panel, we'll ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Paula Poundstone, Luke Burbank, Roxanne Roberts. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal, and we'll see you next week. This is NPR.